Over the last few years, event professionals have seen a lot of changes and challenges that are going to have a lasting effect on the industry. So on this podcast, we're talking to some of the best in the business about the opportunities these changes have presented, the questions that have emerged, and what's on the horizon. Welcome to Event Horizons. I'm Nolan Ether. And I'm Olivia Van Kieran. In this episode, we're going to be taking a closer look at the evolution of virtual events. Virtual events kept the industry afloat during the pandemic at a time when in-person events evaporated overnight. But now that in-person events are coming back, where does that leave virtual events? Virtual events have changed a lot since 2020, and after two years, attendees are expecting more out of virtual experiences. Event professionals have been tasked with creating engaging, immersive, and personalized digital experiences. Even though most virtual events started as one-hour webinar-style formats with little engagement, that isn't going to cut it anymore. In this episode, we'll explore how virtual has evolved and why it's still key to a successful year-round events program. Yeah, I think that as we think about virtual events in the context of this new era of the events industry, right? Like, we're seeing a challenge and a question that event planners have being that, you know, we went from the standard event production for in-person event experiences, right? Like that was very much set in stone. Event planners understood kind of the basics of how to produce an in-person event. But now with virtual, um, it's not going away, right? Like that's very much still a format that event planners are tapping into. But the question is, how do we make a virtual experience as compelling as an in-person production, right? Like, how do I keep my attendees tuned in, not, you know, answering emails, you know, getting distracted? What are the components that comprise a really compelling virtual experience that is, you know, going to keep attendees engaged and, you know, interested in the content and coming back for more, right? Like, how does, how do you use that as a starting point to keep them interested and thinking, hey, like this brand puts on really great virtual experiences. Like I want to keep coming to these. I want to invest my time into the content, into other people who are attending. Um, How do you use production as a way to make your attendees lifelong fans of your virtual experiences? Exactly. And this is stuff that they're still figuring out, right? Because when you went from in-person to virtual, it happened overnight. And what people I think often don't realize is that when you're in person, there's a lot more to engage in other than just the speakers and the content, right? So what happened is when we went virtual overnight, they just ported that same presentation style directly to virtual, right? But now you don't have the networking and you don't have the happy hours and you don't have the connections and the friendships and the location and all the things that add to your experience when you're in person. Now, all you have is you sitting at a computer, logging in, And seeing that same presentation, except now it's just flat, right? So how do you think about that improving the production value for virtual so that it captures some of the same magic as in-person events, right? But that's not the only question. There's lots of different questions that people are asking right now in this industry. For example, you know, finding the right format of events in the first place. So now that we have both in-person and virtual and even the blend in between, how do we think about the you know, the frequency, the size, and when is the right event for each particular use case? Yeah, definitely. And you think about engagement too, right? Like how do you truly engage your attendees with tools, entertainment, unique activations? Like how do you 
really make them feel like they're in an immersive experience. And I think that's very easy. Or not, I don't want to say easy. I think it's in an in-person setting, right? Like you can feel all those things. Like you have all, all of your senses kind of going off. But in a virtual setting, there is a barrier. Like you're not in person. You're not among other people. You're not maybe seeing someone up on stage like a, uh, a DJ or, um, you know, a magician doing something, you know, after hours uh, with a, a happy hour or something like that. But like figuring out how to translate that into a virtual setting, um, I think is a, a main question for event planners right now. You know, we have these these tried and true things that worked really well and in person, but how does that, what does that look like in a virtual setting? I think that's a question and a challenge that, um, you know, we're still kind of struggling with and dealing with, but you know, hopefully, I think we're gonna we're gonna answer some of that in this episode. Exactly. I think in this episode, we're realizing, and in the industry in general, in this moment in time, we're realizing that virtual events in 2020 could be one thing and meet expectations because it was all that there was. And now that things have evolved and changed, and we're coming back to in person, we've got to step up our game, and that's what this episode's all about. We recently wrapped our second annual virtual WebEx One experience hosted on WebEx Events, formerly Socio. And for last year's event, we actually won the B2B event of the year at the X Awards presented by Event Marketer. And we have this awesome case study on this event filled with tips on how to engage your audience through gamification, polling, Q&A, networking, all that good stuff. Um, so check it out in the show notes and connect with us on social to find out how you can access the on-demand content for WebEx One 2022. Pre-pandemic, event professionals had begun to consider the possibilities, opportunities, and value that virtual events could offer. But they were just starting to scratch the surface of anything beyond a simple webinar. Yeah, when the pandemic hit, planners had to quickly make the switch to virtual. To find out more about this transition to virtual events and how we can make them more engaging, we wanted to talk to Jason Coop, VP of Business Development at the Canadian Special Events Magazine. So Jason, what did that initial transition to virtual look like back in 2020? You know, we were already moving towards digital event experiences, but we weren't ready in 2020. So many of the experiences were just bad because you know, the, the technology wasn't there. Our understanding of how to create digital engagement wasn't there. And so what we ended up with was a lot of uh, bad, uh, you know, uh, webinars in some, in, in some sense of the word. You know, we ended up with uh, bad presentations, bad experiences, and that turned a lot of people off. We've had over two years to learn from those initial mistakes, and event pros are still exploring the best ways to create well-produced and engaging virtual events experiences that feel like more than just another meeting. So Jason, how can professionals improve the production value of their virtual events? When you're doing virtual events or digital events, you're really producing a TV show, an interactive and immersive TV show, hopefully, uh, an engaging TV show, I hope, but it's a TV show. And if you're not gonna frame your stage for that, if you're gonna use one camera on a tripod and you're not gonna use any edits or any of that, well, then you're gonna end up with a, a, a Zoom call rather than a uh, produced presentation. I think that the quality, the, the, the technical quality is really critical. If I get onto a podcast or a, a digital event and it's fuzzy or it's blurry or it's the lighting's not right, I, I turn it off because I, I, at this point in time, we have to be better than that. I talk a lot about engagement. I talk a lot about creating that one-on-one -on -one intimacy in digital. 
And that's important because it's harder. It's way harder to keep somebody's attention when they're looking at a little screen like this than they are if you got them live in person. Digital events forced us to be better at creating engagement with our audience. And maybe that's the biggest lesson that we've seen. That's a great point. We're all used to having microphones and ring lights and virtual backgrounds to up the quality of our daily meetings. And if these events are gonna be more than just our daily meetings, they need to have that TV-like quality. Jason, what's on the horizon for virtual events? How will they continue to improve? We haven't been producing digital events for that long. So I think that, uh, I think producing digital events is a specialized skill. And as that experience gets more complicated or more uh, broad, I think that that skill set is going to change. And then, you know, three to five years, virtual reality uh, takes that next step where we're able to remove that disconnect. And now those skills are even greater, uh, um, you know, because uh, just because you can do so much more, you can create such a, such a specialized experience with digital. And so I actually think that uh, as our industry matures, you're going to see a separation between the live event producers and the digital event producers or virtual uh, event producers. Thanks, Jason. So now that we know that virtual events need to be visually engaging with a high level of production quality, I'm wondering how these events can be more structurally engaging. Right. The quality of the production only matters so much if the event itself is boring. To learn more about how the structure of virtual events have changed over the last two years, we're talking to Ananiah Bassnet, our very own Director of Professional Services here at WebEx Events, formerly Socio. Ananiah, let's start by talking about the length of these virtual events. Should they be hours-long experiences like we see with in-person events, short, quick sessions, or something in between? We have started to advise and consulting consult our planners on is is really keeping the session length let, you know less to an hour right uh, per session that is anything over that to me you are in that territory where you know you're starting to lose me right I mean like we we live in an era where 140 characters 160 characters is too much you know like there's like short videos now right to for 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 consuming things easily right so so keep it short is what we you know like keep it. 45 minutes is the, is, is, is the new 60 minutes is, is, you know, like what we've started to advise our planners and customers as well. I think these shorter events are easier to attend, which also makes me think about the ease of attendance for virtual events as a whole. So I want to ask you about the cost of virtual events compared to in-person events. In addition to time, what else can attendees save by attending events virtually? Right. I mean, think about it, like travel, uh, you know, airfare. Uh, increased jet fuel uh, is definitely going to be causing travel to be quite expensive, right? Not just this year, but I'm guessing like it'll it'll be that way for a little longer, right? Food and bev, uh, in this inflation, everything is expensive. So you know, like if you run an event uh, virtually uh, or even like hybrid, you know, you're you're definitely talking about a lot lot of cost savings, right? I mean, sometimes budgets are constrained. Sometimes. You, you might not be able to travel, right? I mean, like you've got so much other things going on versus like, you know, you could watch a virtual event uh, whenever you desire from your home. Nolan, you and I both attended in-person events this year. And for both of us, it was the first time kind of going back to in-person post-pandemic. And I feel like, you know, we both kind of forgot how many how much cost is associated with 
traveling to an in-person event. Like Anna and I was saying, like booking travel, booking a hotel, having to have meals for the whole week, like that is um, a huge time and and resource investment for for companies. And the great thing about virtual is that one, it's not going away, and two, you know, attendees can still get that great content without ever having to to leave their their homes. And their companies don't have to invest all of this time, all of this money into traveling and sending their team to events when you know they can do it. They can do it remotely. Um, and I don't think that's going away. And I think that it's it's a huge asset for the events industry um, because not only is it, you know, promoting cost savings, but you're also then, you know, reaching way more people um, because you kind of eliminate that barrier of of cost and, you know, the, the challenge of actually getting there when you can, you know, do it all right from your desk. Yeah, I think this goes back again to kind of the the frequency and the balance of formats. Right. I think there's always going to be a place for in-person events. There's always going to be unique benefits to in-person events that you just can't achieve virtually. But there's also a lot of things that you can. And I think that people are just weighing their options differently. When you think about hybrid work, when you think about all those types of things, virtual experiences are just something that people are becoming more comfortable with. And if I'm mostly going to a conference to hear presentations, content, things like that, a lot of that can be done virtually. You know, when we talk about cost, we're also not just talking about out-of-pocket costs for airplane tickets and for the ticket to get into the event. You're also talking about time away from your family. You're talking about time that you're not actually working because you're doing other things. You're traveling, you're hanging out at the hotel, you're eating at restaurants. All that stuff, a lot of times, you know, you're not thinking about or isn't taken into consideration. So I think it's really about figuring out the right balance and figuring out when in-person events are critical and when virtual events would be a good substitute, you know. At in-person events, if you're trying to network, deepen those relationships, if you're trying to see people you haven't seen in a long time or move a particular high quality deal forward, those are things that are really tough to do virtually. But I think, again, content, just learning, that kind of stuff happens really well virtually. And to our point earlier, we're figuring out how to up the production value and keep people engaged so it becomes even more engaging. But that's really the sweet spot for virtual events. So if you're planning a virtual event and looking for a roadmap to get you started, check out our virtual event planning guide linked in the show notes. It takes you through how to plan a successful virtual experience at every point of the virtual event lifecycle. Pre-event, during, post-event, it's all there. Check it out. So now that we've discussed how to improve your virtual events production value, how the event structure has changed over time and the cost savings associated with virtual events, we know a little bit more about the technical side of virtual events. And now let's talk about how to make the actual event more engaging. We've heard some talk about smaller virtual events leading to more engaging experiences. And to find out the truth and reasoning behind that, we're talking to Kiana Gesemi, Senior Manager of Experience Marketing at Postal. So Kiana, are smaller virtual events actually a better option when we're talking about successful virtual experiences? A field marketer at my core, right? So that that's kind of where those small events are, right? I think you have more runway for creativity, right? It's just like when you're traveling or going to a concert with groups, right? With smaller groups, you can do more. Bigger groups, you have a couple options. So I, I think that there's there's definitely those are like a definitely here to stay, and you can do you know really a higher level, right? Whether it's C suite or director plus, or you could do it by persona, and that's awesome. And yeah, you can get really unique with it. And it's a lot 
less of a commitment than a big, big virtual event or, or big conference, right? You don't have to get a hotel room. You don't have to get family arrangements. You don't have to get on a plane. And I think smaller events inherently create more opportunities for attendees to engage with each other, simply because you're able to interact with one another more easily. Kiana, how do you engage attendees in smaller groups? One thing that I kind of always like starting with my events, and I'm this is like in reference if it's not just like a fun virtual event, if I'm saying like, let's come to a webinar or let's do a round table or maybe even like a customer advisory board that we're hosting virtually, I do kind of like to have that beginning icebreaker, that some sort of nice touch in the beginning to get people warmed up a little bit, right? So whether it's like sending everybody a cold brew and we bring a coffee person, uh, barista on for just 10 minutes, right? So that they come on, everybody's kind of sprinkling in and this, uh, you know, person is talking for 10 minutes about the coffee they're drinking. That person jumps off and then we kind of already already chit-chatted and we can go into that event, right? Something that connects us so that the awkwardness is a little less awkward because that's kind of what you would do in person too, right? You would meet at the bar or you would come to my trade show booth and pick up a piece of swag and that's how we would talk first. That makes sense. I think we've all been on a call with a group of people we don't know. You don't know when to unmute and you just kind of look at each other awkwardly. Yeah, I've definitely been there. And I think the tips Kiana shared definitely sound like a solution to that problem. So if that's how you make these events more engaging overall, what are some of the more unique virtual events that you've hosted? We just hosted a virtual drag queen bingo yesterday afternoon, right? So that was an event. We actually did it twice this week. We did it on Tuesday for our employees. Uh, And then we did it on yesterday, Thursday for uh, our prospects and customers. And so that was, you know, those were all, it was a very top of funnel event. So that person wouldn't come get dinner with me because they really don't know me, but they would come play bingo and uh, we donated, you know, to a good cause if they participated. So uh, it was an easy way for us to get that connection started. Um, And that's just, you know, one aspect of virtual events. There's also obviously way more complex ones. But it's just such a smaller commitment. So, Olivia, maybe we play a little bingo with our team next time we meet virtually. I love that. Sounds fun to me. Thanks for learning about the evolution of virtual events with us this week. And be sure to tune in next time as we explore how to use event data to improve event design, improve your return on an investment. This podcast is brought to you by WebEx Events. For more great resources, to learn more about our guests, or to learn more about WebEx events, take a look at the links in the show notes. And don't forget to follow and leave us a review. I'm Nolan Ether. And I'm Olivia Van Kuren. We'll talk to you next time on Event Horizons.